I'm Julie Hyde, and I believe you can't be a leader of others until you are a leader of self. It all starts with leading you. So if you are ready to be the best leader that you can be, you're in the right place. I'll be chatting to a diverse range of leaders who will spill the beans on their leadership, how they changed the game, insights into their mindset, and how they built the courage and resilience to be a modern leader with impact. Let's get into it. Robin Forster is here with me today, and Robin is the CEO of Forster Media, a multi-platform media company which owns the Carousel Game Changers and Women Love Tech. She's an award-winning journalist, editor, and media executive, and was a 2023 Champions of Change finalist for Women Leading Tech, and voted one of B&T's 30 Most Powerful Women in Media at the Women in Media Awards. And Robin was also a finalist for the Entrepreneur of the Year for 2022 B&T Women in Media Awards and a finalist in three categories for the 2023 Samsung Lizzie Awards. Now, Robin has also judged the Telstra and Business Awards for 10 years and is the former publisher and editor of Australia's three biggest flagship magazines, the Australian Women's Weekly, Women's Day and New Idea. And I could keep going (laughs) with all of the amazing things that this woman has achieved, but I'd love to welcome you now, Robin, like it's just phenomenal, (laughs) all of the accolades and your achievements that you've achieved throughout your life so far. Oh, Julie, thanks so much. And thanks very much for having me on today. It's, It's a pleasure to have a chat with you. So I'd love to kick it off, Robin, you know, especially given all of your experience and you've lived and, you know, worked around the world. But if you were the leader of the world for a day, what would be the one thing you would change and why? I love this question because it really does focus the mind, doesn't it, on important issues and everything. And obviously with my hat on as the owner and editor of Women Love Tech, I'm very, very interested in what's happening with AI at the moment. And, you know, just recently the godfather of AI, who's um, Jeffrey Hinton, um, said that he had resigned from Google to be able to be freed up to speak more about his concerns about the security risks of AI in the future and called very strongly for regulation from governments around the world. And I would back that. I would basically say the one thing that I would do is to enforce regulations on AI and not leave it just to big business to determine how the, our future when it comes to AI because it really is quite serious and it does impact women as well, you know, in terms of unconscious bias. And so it needs to be, you know, raised as a bigger issue. And not that long ago, I talked to all the sort of teal leaders and I asked them what the government was doing in terms of unconscious bias and AI, and they said nothing. (laughs) We need to be, but nothing. And, you know, there's a reason why it's, uh, I think people have got onto it with chat GPT about what the power of AI can be, but we need to be much more aware of it because it affects all of us and our future. Yes, yes. I love that response, Robin, and it's so timely because there seems to be, 
you know, the chat GBT that you just mentioned, which I know is not the only AI forum that's growing, but it seems to be growing exponentially. And everyone seems to be using it, you know, from school kids to people in business. And I, I saw something about people putting their financial information into chat BT. And it's like, well, where does that go? How do we know who has access to this? Mm, I know. And I listened to Amy Webb. She's the first speaker of South by Southwest, which I'm so excited about coming up in October in Sydney for the first time. And she talked about the AI and unconscious bias was one thing, but she, she, she was saying that if you, for instance, put in chairman and call up images, every single one of them is a bloke that comes up. There's no women. <laughs> that's seen as a chairman or a CEO, if you put that in too. It's all men that come up. So there is a lot of unconscious bias that's out there. It's very difficult to change. So bringing awareness to this is really very important. And the other thing is that uh, if you, for instance, look at the powers of AI, one of the things that Amy Webb is a futurist, one of the leading futurists in the world, um, said that could be a problem is that, for instance, it's not beyond the realms of capability, that if you said to AI, how do you stop a certain pathogen or pandemic, et cetera, that it could become so clever that it decides, well, the only way to do that is to actually ensure that, you know, the human race is infertile and therefore you won't have pandemics, right? Do you see what, you know, this is where she was, she was putting up scenarios like that. Now, you wouldn't even think that that would be something that could possibly happen. But that's what I'm saying. And so I don't mean to actually even sound so alarmist, but that's important that we understand what the threat is and that, that we put an emphasis on governments to actually help and ensure that there is a much more regulation when it comes to AI. And that's what like Dr. Katrina Wallace has been doing with the Responsible Metaverse and Alliance and the Tech Council of Australia you know, there are bodies now that are actually making this an important issue and talking about the need for regulation. And we write about it a lot on Women Love Tech. Yeah, no, I mean, I can understand. I'm not a tech savvy person, I would have to say. and But I can only imagine what AI is capable of for good and also for not so good, as you mentioned. So it's great that there's these incredible people out there who are bringing it to the table and people like you who are just, you know, bringing the conversation um, to the table and, and bringing the topic also here to the podcast because, you know, just people listening, we're like, yes, we really need to advocate for this regulation. Yeah. And the other thing, because I, I, I'm being greedy here, but if I was to be able to do something else, it would actually, as a responsible citizen, I would have to say that we need to also be much more focused on the environment and what we as individuals can do. And, you know, like looking at one of the clients that I've had is Liz Courtney, a documentary maker, and she talks about doing one responsible thing. So one thing that helps the environment. So she stopped using a dryer. And I think that that's great. I mean, for me, I'm looking at getting, you know, electric car. But, you know, those things are really, really key to be able to do. Yes, absolutely. And it really um, sort of links into, you know, the topic of leading you, which is we are all leaders of self. So we can influence change within our own spheres. And by doing that one thing for the environment, absolutely, you know, can create that ripple effect of change. And if we all did that, like you say, it would make a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes you empowered. Just do some small changes yourself. If it's all done incrementally, it, it all builds, doesn't it? Yes, 
It certainly does. So one thing I'm really curious about with you is that you were at the top of your game in media and you worked all across the world and then you decided to start your own business in tech and I'm really interested as to what was the catalyst for that? You went from media and tech, it's so different or is it different? Look, I think every good business has tech, you know, like as its fundamental core. And when I was publishing Harper's Bazaar and Grants here in Madison and all these different magazines, I could see that the, you know, the digital world was where it was the trending in terms of media. And I certainly didn't want to become a dinosaur in my own industry. So I sort of started being very interested then. And then I got asked to run and um, be on the board of an ASX listed tech company and then got involved in actually running that company and built a, the Vivid app three years ago, um, which used AI and AR and geolocation. And I thought it was amazing what you can do with augmented reality and, you know, our future, the way that we see things is going to be through different lenses in the future. I then launched my own retail app, Sweep, and uh, which I invested in. And uh, But the timing wasn't brilliant because it was a geolocation shopping app just before COVID. So it didn't see the light of day, even though it won innovation awards at the time. But innovation is the thing that excites me. And so I've always loved and I've got you know, this growing interest in technology. And of course, I've got my site, Women Love Tech. So I come across incredible stories of startups and what people are doing in the world using technology for good is my favorite thing. You know, for instance, a friend of mine who runs Citizens of the Great Barrier Reef, Andy Ridley, has now used, um, teamed up with Dell Computers and uses AI, their capability using artificial intelligence to map, um, use the mapping of the Great Barrier Reef. So a very small proportion of our Barrier Reef has been filmed. And um, so what they do is they get young kids and various members of the public to take part every October, November in Recensus Day. And then what they do is they use that data and help map the Barrier Reef and the areas of where the coral is, is good, the reefs are in good health or not in good health, and that allows the scientists to determine where the help and support needs to be or where planting of new corals need to go, etc. That's just an example of how technology can be used in such a positive way. And I see it from when judging the Telstra Business Awards every year. The companies that are doing so well are those companies that know how to utilise good technology. So why would you want to be involved in technology when it's all that's where it's happening? Yes, yeah, so that's a really good point. And it just evolves so quickly because I think back, oh my, you know, 30 years or so, I didn't even have email where I was working, which was in finance. So at that time, we just didn't have email. So, <laughs> you know, and, you know, the introduction of all of this and Wi-Fi and it's just phenomenal. And it has gone quite rapidly, even though, you know, some people get frustrated that it hasn't evolved quick enough. But, you know, when you have a look at the progress and, you know, like your um, friend's example, it's just incredible. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, I remember going on a story years ago, but we didn't have, you know, mobile phones and GPS and we were in the Sahara Desert trying to track down someone in the middle of the Sahara Desert, you know, and no phone calls. No one knew where I was back then. You know, I could have been anywhere, dead or alive. I was in Mauritania at the time, the most dangerous place on the planet. 
And you think about as journalists, you know, I used to have to phone through um, my copy to copy takers. So we didn't have the ability to just um, send digitally. And I think journalists and, and people forget that was a case of, you know, us as journalists having to write the story and it was dictated down the phone. Everything was done through the phone. And now, of course, it's so much easier. And, and, and I would say media has become a lot more open to the wider public. So, you know, the, hence we're getting the stories of people that we'd never have heard through social media and ever, it's given everyone a, a voice, you know. And I, I look back on the history of me as an editor and back then, you know, part of the reason why editors were paid the big bickies at the time was because they were had their fingers on the pulse about what people were interested in and what would you jump off the bus to read and, you know, if you saw a magazine at the bus stop, um, news agency and et cetera. Now um, it's opened up so that it's almost democratised so that anyone who can be a good storyteller can share their stories and have a window to actually share those stories and the good ones become, you know, really popular. Exactly, like you say, the good ones because there's a lot of noise out there. So it makes it even more challenging to stand out and to be the click bait, if you like. I'm not a massive fan of that word, but, you know, to really get people to tune in and listen to you, it's a challenge, I think. Yeah, and there is a lot of noise, you know, and because there is just so much out there now. But, you know, like I, I think of someone like Elise Strawn, who's a friend of mine, she started up My Cupcake Addiction. She grew to 10 million users on, on her YouTube channel really quite quickly. And, you know, she gave up her job as being an hostess to become a YouTuber. One of the very early YouTubers lives in the Gold Coast. Amazing woman. Amazing. She did cupcakes using Instagram or a mobile phone or she did it during the World Cup. She'd do, she'd do a, a football or, you know, anything that was zeitgeist, she did. And some people are just natural storytellers or a disability to capitalise something that gets taken up by the general public. Mm. So I'm wondering if throughout your career, which has been really diverse, has there been any one moment or a learning that, you know, really stuck with you and has shaped who you are now? So like a defining moment, if you like. Yeah. Look, I think one very defining moment for me was when I was very young and my grandfather said to me, I believe you can do whatever you want to do in your life. And I went, do you? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I wish I was around to see it. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, I think I can do anything that I want to do. I, I actually think if I set my mind to it, you're right. I can do it. I've just got to head that direction. And you know what? That was a really empowering thing for someone to say to anyone, you know, and I try and say it myself to people now because it had this big impact on me. It had the impact that said, yeah, if I want to become a journalist, I will. I'll just, I'll just be laser focused on that and that's what I'm going to do and I did. And he, he had belief in me and that definitely shaped me, you know, and, and I think also just interviewing a lot of people over the years, I think sometimes just your ordinary people in the community that have done amazing things have been very empowering. You know, like one woman who I interviewed who tracked down her husband's grave in Mauritania in the Sahara Desert again. It was I had enormous tenacity and she did this, you know, like 60 years after 
he died and she she reunited with with him and it was against the odds and it was a lovely love story and you know and and that's sort of like those sort of like heart-ridden passionate stories like that I've always sort of like made me think you know you, you can be brave you can do the extraordinary Mm, yes, I totally agree. And we were talking before we jumped on air about mindset. So, you know, that clearly shaped that mindset of belief for you. It's like, well, yes, of course I can do it. Why can't I? And look at everything that you've now achieved as well, which is phenomenal. Oh, I love those stories. And we love your grandpa. <laughs> He's looking down on you. He knows. <laughs> he knows. Yeah, it was, it was a really great thing to say to anyone, you know, like you can achieve what you want fill your dreams and I think that's great you know and it's not always going to be easy um I remember the first job when I was working I was only 23 and I got a job in London on a newspaper and it was very very competitive and I got sent out to do a story on these otters in Norwich in Norfolk up in the wilds of Norfolk and anyway I was catching a train I was meeting it was my first job outside of the, the newsroom and the train pulls up and the photographer's there to, to meet me, but there was no handle on the door on the inside. There was a handle on the other side of the train, which led to the train track. And it pulled up and I'm like going, oh, my God, there's no track. What I didn't realise is you had to pull down the window back then, put your hand outside and open the door from the outside. But I didn't know that as a 23-year-old journalist and I saw that the only door handle was on the side of the train track and the train started moving and I was not going to miss that story. So I opened the door and I jumped out of a flying train, <laughs> landed on the ground and had to walk across the train track, pull myself up the other side, dusted myself down and met that photographer. I was bugging if I wasn't going to get that story done. <laughs> oh, my God. Now that is a true story of commitment. That's hilarious. Imagine people saying. Well, a train conductor came up to me and he said to me, excuse me, madam, you didn't just jump off that train. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. You know, I said, why, why? He said, well, first of all, train tracks are electric <laughs> and you could have electrocuted yourself. <laughs> and secondly, did you remember to shut the train door? And I went, oh, yes, I definitely at that door. I was like thinking, oh, my God, I could have probably caused a train crash. <laughs> Priorities when you're jumping from a, a moving train. <laughs> so you have clearly got so much passion for what you do and I think a lot of energy, you know, personally and professionally, like, you know, you're, you're doing a reno at the moment and on top of everything else that you do. So where it's... I suppose, where and how, how do you look after yourself? What is that driving force that keeps you going? Well, I think, you know, like I come from a sort of family of quite driven women. My mother and my auntie and my grandmother all became university students after having kids. And then my mother went on to do a PhD and actually studied at Oxford. So I've seen people who are very driven around me. My father was an entrepreneur and I think that I saw that people sort of strive to do things that had a lot of energy and, and focus. So I think I've sort of been sort of similar to them that I've wanted to try new things, always been very curious, always wanted to know everything about everyone, which is why being a journalist was a good career move for me. Yeah, I mean, how do you look after yourself? I, I think probably I've only started really looking after myself because I think I was, there was a period there where I, my health didn't come first and I just put everything into my job. 
and I definitely was very burning out and not eating the right foods and not exercising enough. I've got a completely different mindset about health. I've literally just come back from two weeks where I went to Kamalaya and Shibasom. I went to a health retreat. I've um, been losing weight. I've been focusing on healthy eating and a lot of planning around that. And I do kayaking and, and I row on a Friday morning with a group of other three other women, which is great fun and good exercise. And I love going for long walks with my husband and spending time with my family. So I have got a new mindset about my health that I, I think in the years gone by, um, I didn't have. Yes, we learn, don't we, <laughs> when um, we're not feeling our best. But I love, yeah, you mentioned planning to eat well, which I think is totally what it takes. It's You've really got to think about it. And it does take effort, but it's worth it. And when you feel it and, you know, you feel a lot more energised and I suppose a lot more like I've got a lot of vitality, it just makes it so worth it. Yeah, and you do have to have a lot of self-care, you know, like uh, not wrong to put yourself first, you know, um, at times when it comes to your health particularly. And while I love my job, I love what I do, um, there is life outside of work and, you know, um, some of the healthy things that you can do is, you know, enjoying nature and being present and spending time with that valuable time you can with your family. Our two sons are 25 and 27 now and they've moved out of home, you know, so when I get to spend time with them, I really value it. Yeah, lovely. Gosh, the juggle for for you back then must have been huge when they were little. Yeah, it was huge. You know, I we had a complete, my husband and I had a complete role reversal. So um, I, I've lived in England and America and when I came back from America, I worked in I went from newspapers to working in television for breakfast television and in the UK and at that point, you know, it was great because being a journalist, when I moved from TV to being a newspaper, freelance, magazine writer, meant that I could have a lot of flexibility in my work. But when I moved to being an editor in Australia, uh, it was a really full-time role and very demanding. And my husband became the full-time carer of our children. And so the children have had both me as a full-time carer and then they've had my husband as a full-time carer. And I think that's lovely that you can juggle those roles and um, your kids experience both. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think so too. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, in our modern age, you know, that that's great. And they had the benefit of, you know, a male role, role model at home full-time. That's It doesn't always have to be the, the woman. And the woman's out there earning, you know, more money, then that's great. Yes, 100%. It's always struck me since I've met you how passionate you are about supporting women in business. And you mentioned your grandmother and your mum before who went to university and got degrees, which is probably not the norm, particularly for your grandma at that time. So I'm just curious as to, you know, and maybe it's through what you've seen throughout your career, but, you know, where is that passion for supporting women in business in particular come from? Well, I, I think it does ha- happen from having sort of like strong female role models in my life, like my mother, my auntie, my grandmother, who were, you know, trailblazing in their own way because they were went back to university. They felt like they went straight into motherhood and didn't have the, you know, tertiary education that they wanted. So, again, thinking nothing's possible, they went back and then they they did that. And I think with me, 
I've been surrounded by fantastic women in my life and who've been very supportive of me. And that, you know, has transpired in me wanting to support other women. And I think that, you know, like even in my own job now as a as sort of like a, an employer and someone who, you know, employs women, like I want to experience my own ability to have a flexible working life and create a nice culture. <laughs> I want it to work for me to enjoy flexibility and um, be part of creating a healthy culture at work. And so, and that's worked really well for me. And when, you know, you're working for newspapers and magazines like I have, it can be quite cutthroat, you know, it can be a nest of vipers at times. And it did come to the point that I did want to become my own boss and really create my own path as an entrepreneur and create my own working environment, which has seen me, here I am in Mururunda where I'm doing up a little 100-year-old cottage at the moment. And this time last year, I was in Paris and England working from those places, um, doing interviews with an Oxford Don and then doing an interview um, with someone in Paris. And then at the same time, doing an interview with someone, you know, thanks to technology, um, in Alice Springs, talking about a documentary he was making. You know, so it is easier these days, isn't it, to have a, a, a more interesting and varied work life. And I love how you enable women to do that and you're very good as, for want of another word, you're so awesome at sharing women's stories and putting women, you know, in front of the media so that their stories are picked up and just connecting women in business, which I think is is phenomenal. So, and you're such an amazing role model for women for our younger generation in terms of what they can do and how they can support women and still achieve amazing things for themselves. It was never that way when I was, you know, really in in corporate. We we just didn't think that way. It was very, very competitive, like you say, not as competitive as the media, I'm sure. But but, but I think we've got a responsibility and thank you for your kind words because that's very sweet of you. I feel a bit embarrassed but, you know, like I do think we've got a responsibility as female leaders to to support younger women who are coming through and up and through the system and I feel I'm going to be putting a lot more focus on Women Love Tech and helping increase the number of women in STEM is a big, big passion of mine. At this stage, you know, it is just unacceptable that, you know, that there is only 20% of women in tech um, to 80% of men, roughly, you know. Um, But the statistics are not great, you know. Women are paid globally 20% less than men. You know, it's just not time to accept any of this, you know, in our day and age. And and I think if we can offer women opportunities and profile them, because you can't be what you can't see. Like we're talking about the environment, do things in incremental stages, you know, like do the things like not using your dryer, getting a, a more fuel efficient car, whatever it is, you know. And for me, in terms of helping increase the number of women in technology with my platform, Women Love Tech, it is profiling the stories of women doing amazing things. A bit like you, Julie, it's no different. You do amazingly well in terms of the number of people that you profile and you you highlight and showcase their stories. I love your podcast and you for doing that because, you know, you're shining a light on different people and, you know, those stories might have otherwise not been told. 
Oh, thank you, Robin. I really appreciate that. And I think how, you know, what you've said about, you know, we really do have an obligation to support women coming through and showing them what's possible for them. Because I love what you said, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it, which is 100% right. So I could talk to you, I think, all day. You are a fascinating and I love listening to your stories so we might have to do another podcast but uh, definitely (laughs) I'm really grateful for your time and your energy thank you so much Julie 